Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We are continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, and we come to chapter 5 today. And uh, chapter 5 has this account of Jesus meeting this guy with all these demons, and they get thrown in the pigs. You, I, you, it's, a, it's a very interesting story. I'm not going to talk much about the pigs. But you know what it made me think about? I, I was a camp counselor way back in the 80s. And I'm thinking it might have been 82 or 83 when I met uh, Juan, Juan Acuna. I'm pretty sure Juan was his first name. And he, um, he wrote a book about his life. And it, it's kind of fascinating. No, it's really fascinating. It's a quick read it says, from a shoe shiner to college professor. Grew up in Argentina. I don't think he even went to school until he was like 13. And he, um, he was demon-possessed. Right? Yep. And uh, this is, they've got like four prologues in there, maybe more. But his son writes a prologue, and he talks about his experience. He says, I returned to my bedroom sobbing. The screams persisted. They seemed to fill my room and beat upon my eardrums. Frightened and desperate, I returned to the kitchen a few minutes later. And by the time my mother had arrived, Father's insane, isn't he? I asked between sobs. Father's going to be all right, David. Everything's going to be all right, she tried to assure me. My father still lay on the kitchen floor where, he, where I discovered him earlier. The piercing, inhuman screams that had awakened me were still pouring from his quivering mouth. Uh, how could she say all was going to be all right? How could they ever be right again? I was 12 years old. I didn't want any of my friends to know what happened. I tried to shut it out of my mind and my life by not talking about it. And I was fairly successful forgetting it until one day my parents announced the time has come to tell the world. Now, Juan, in his uh, prologue, said this. Juan, his, uh, Juan, are you sure you know what you're doing? Hazel had asked me that question many times. I, I was always sincere in my answer. Hazel, don't worry. I I'm right. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm all right. I know what I'm doing. I know how far to go and where to stop. I was aware of the fact that people had been known to go insane between the sixth and seventh levels of yoga, but never in my most uncontrolled musing had I contemplated that it could happen to me. I didn't consider my involvement in Kabbalah, theosophy, metaphysics, alchemy, psalmistry, witchcraft, psycho-cybernetics, mysticism, transcendental meditation, body language, psychology of color, om Ometry, astrology, tarot cards, I Ching, and other methods of fortune-telling, a threat to my sanity either. After all, I was an ordained Lutheran minister, as well as chairman of the philosophy department at Ashland College. I was intelligent, had a good education, four degrees to prove it. I had acquired a vast amount of additional knowledge through extensive reading. I, I had confidence in myself and I considered myself to be exceptional, uh, to be exceptional, I think, at controlling my mind and body. I was able to stare at a candle for two hours and 45 minutes 
without blinking. By the way, who even wants to do that? Uh, it, but that, that must be a superpower. My superpower is wasting time. And um, without blinking, and as a result, my extraordinary bodily discipline. I considered myself to be well above the average individual and certainly no danger of becoming psychotic. If anyone would have suggested to me that as a result of my deep participation in false philosophies and occult practices, I was becoming a cohort uh, of and binding myself to the forces of hell, I would have vigorously denied it. But praise be to God, Jesus knew how far I had fallen, and he knew my breaking point. And in his mercy and grace, he stretched forth his hand to me. I placed mine in his, and he pulled me back from the brink of destruction. Fascinating book. Wonderful, humble guy. That picture was from like his 60th wedding uh, anniversary. And yet he grew up, he grew up in the occult. He, like when he was young, he would go to a witch doctor, right? I mean, that was part of it. He got rid of warts through the uh, occult. Like he, he, that, that was his upbringing, and he was always somehow attracted to it, even though he went to seminary, even though he was a Lutheran pastor. It, he, he was delivered from the demonic forces, and his family all were converted. Just this beautiful story. And so today we come to uh, this section in Scripture of the demonic. But I wanted to give you like the chapter before, the end of the chapter before, because I think they're connected. And there were no chapters when the Bible was written anyways. So you have this story that Jim talked a little bit about last week where Jesus calms the storm. You remember, they're in the boat. Jesus says, I'm going to go to the other side. And many people have noticed similarities between the story of Jonah and this story in Mark, right? Because I find it fascinating. I think the similarities are there, and I think it sets us up for this demonic encounter. Look, in Jonah and in this story in Mark, you have both characters getting in a boat. In Jonah and the story and in Mark, a storm arises that threatens everyone on the boat. Everybody on both boats, the one with Jonah and the one in Mark, are panicking. The key character is asleep in the boat. Isn't that interesting? Those on board wake up the key character. They wake up Jonah, they wake up Jesus. Those on board question the key character and bring up the notion of perishing, right? Like, don't you know we're going to die? And the sea becomes calm. They throw Jonah in. He's like a big Alka-Seltzer tablet, and the sea pauses. And Jesus just speaks, right? And, and then everything is done. And the men on board respond with fear. Like, oh my goodness, we threw Jonah in and it stopped. And Jesus has power over the storms and the wind and the rain. It, it, it's interesting. And then what happens after Jonah uh, gets thrown in? Of course, he didn't want to go to Nineveh, but a fish delivered him there. And, and he goes to this non-Jewish community and preaches repentance, and they do. And Jesus crosses the river, and he goes to a largely Gentile region, the, the Ten Cities, and he preaches to a largely Gentile population, delivers a man from a demon who becomes an evangelist to that whole area, like Jonah. Kind of fascinating. Here's the story. When he, Jesus, got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tomb with an unclean spirit met him. He had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him 
any more, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him constantly. Just like Juan, night and day he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran and he bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice. This is, what an image, a guy falling before Jesus and yelling at him, right? What business do we, um, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out of the unclean spirits, they entered the swine, and the herds rushed down the steep bank into the sea. About 2,000 of them were drowned in the sea. Now, I'm not going to talk much about the pigs drowning, but can you imagine even 100 pigs in a thing of water? 2,000. That's a lot of dead pigs, right? And so here's this kind of interesting story about this demoniac, and by the way, you know, they always translate it possessed, but really the Greek word is demonized. They were, he was demonized. So today I want to talk about how evil works, the kindness of God and faith, and Jesus as the substitute. How evil works, the kindness of God and faith, and Jesus as the substitute. The first thing I want to say about how evil works is it's progressive. Did you notice with the guy, he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tomb runs up to him, and uh, he had his dwelling among the tombs. No one was able to bind him anymore. So he used to be able to be bound in chains, but there's this increase in strength. Like there's a progression in his strength in his life, and I also think a progression in his Wailing and cutting and all the other stuff that went along with the strength, right? Evil works that way. There's a, there's a progression in it. Some years ago, I was at a wedding uh, for a friend of mine, and his dad was doing the toast, and I, was, I participated in the, in the wedding, and uh, I had a glass of champagne, and there was a lady who was one of the servers there next to me, and I'm waiting for her, the dad to finish the toast, and I'm going to do the prayer. And the lady goes, are you a pastor? I go, yep. And she goes, and you're drinking? And I go, champagne. And she goes, you're going to hell. I don't know. Have you ever been told you're going to hell? What does that do for you, right? So my heart's beating fast. I'm paying attention to that. Like, don't snap at her. And I go, I thought unbelief sent you to hell, not champagne, right? <laughs> and then she said, um, and, and I talked a little bit more, and then she said, I've seen a lot of priests get drunk at these receptions. And I said to her, you know, they 
When a priest gets drunk, he's a zit on the face of the body of Christ. That's what I said to her. And I said, uh, I won't be getting drunk tonight, <laughs> right? You know, like I assured her. And I thought, you know, does somebody become a priest or even a pastor and go, you know what? I just can't wait to go to a wedding and make a fool of myself, right? Like, you know, they're taking their vows. I can't wait to drink too much. Like, I don't think that's how it happens. I think it starts with one drink, right? And then two and four, right? And somehow, somehow they, they get to this place because evil is progressive, right? It moves us in a direction. Sin moves us in a direction. It's the way it is. I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, Christianity asserts that we are going to go on forever, now, there's a great many things that wouldn't be worth bothering about if, it was only, if I was only going to live 80 years or so, but I better bother about it if I'm going to go on living forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are getting worse. So gradually that they increase in my life, the increase in my lifetime would not be very noticeable, but might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact... If Christianity is true, hell is precisely the correct technical term for it. Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, blaming others, but you're still distinct from it. You may criticize it even in yourself and wish you could stop it, but there may come a day when you can no longer. And then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even enjoy it, but just a grumble itself going on and on forever like a machine. It's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there's something growing which will be hell unless we nip it in the bud. Yeah. So what does it mean for us? It means Christians need to continue to be about repentance, right? We need to be able to go, yeah, that was wrong. That thing that is growing up in my life was wrong. You know, it's like the, uh, there's lots of things we can go to as false comforters, right? And when you go to it, it kind of works at first, but down the road, it owns you, not you owning it. And somewhere in there, you nip it in the bud, right? Bitterness, unforgiveness can feel good at first and even empowering, but after a while, it can be you and you can be it. And I've seen a lot of lives that are deformed or a living hell because of this whole process of evil in our lives. And Christians, we should be people who are kind of like, Lord, today may I be turning from my own ways and back unto you. So evil isn't just progressive, but evil always gives, but it takes away at the same time, right? The drink that brings comfort ends up owning you if you keep living for it, doesn't it? And, and many people know what that's like, and so many other things. Look, look here. He's bound with shackles, and he has the strength. He's like, he's like Lou Ferrigno. Only the old people know who that is. He's the, one of the original hulks. He's like Lou Ferrigno. Ferrigno, he, he was one of the uglier hulks out there. And, um, and yet, he's got superpower, right? I mean, who doesn't want to be able to go, yeah, I can break those chains, right? 
But at the same time, what's he got? Screaming and cutting himself. In this book uh, that I started quoting earlier, uh, he talked about his brother being healed with witchcraft. And he said um, that although the sickness that he was healed from, he was never really the same after that day. And he made this point. He said, I was to learn many years later that when magic is used, uh, when magic is employed for the healing of an ailment, it is often merely a transferring of affliction. It disguises its deviousness by affecting an apparent healing in one area while afflicting in another even more diabolical and odious way. And this guy's got superpowers. Let's face it, they can't bind him with chains. But he also is afflicted odiously. Want could stare at a candle for two hours and 45 minutes, but screaming on the floor, scaring his family. Isn't, isn't this the way it is? I mean, it doesn't matter you know, what it is. It doesn't matter what we're worshiping. You know, sometimes for for us, we're like, oh, if I just give myself to work and throw myself into work, and you end up sacrificing your family or your others, right? And, and you're like, well, am I living to work or working to live? And, and it, take, it, it gives us something, right? A lot of strokes, perceives money, whatever it is, but it also robs at the other end many times. That's how evil works. Now, you can't fight evil on your own, and I can't fight evil on my own. If I was to cast out a demon today, I would do it not in my own name, but in the name of Jesus. And look at this. The demons know that. The demon shouts at this guy, and he employs God. When's the last time demons were... The God in the name, right? What business do you have, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God. The demons are calling on a higher power. Right? And he says, don't torment me. For Jesus had been saying, come out. But notice who Jesus isn't. Jesus doesn't call on a higher power. Come out. Jesus is the higher power. Jesus is, is one with the Father, and the Father is one. Where Jesus is, the Father is like, like Jesus is speaking because he is the higher power. And you and I, we can't fight. We can't fight evil on our own. We need to abide in the vine. We need the power of God in our lives. That's how evil works. Now, in the next section, we got two more stories. In this next story, you really see an image of the kindness of God and of faith. It says, when Jesus, so he finished his business over there, the, guy, the demoniac wants to follow Jesus. Jesus says, no, I got a mission for you. You go back to your family, you go back to your people, and you tell them what I did. He's an evangelist to the Gentiles. The gospel goes out to the whole world. Then Jesus gets back in the boat, crosses over, and a large crowd gathered around him. You know what I noticed in this uh, scripture? When he crossed the lake, I always thought there was one boat. But you read in Mark, other boats got there to follow him too. They're like, we're going with that guy. He feeds us, he heals us, hop in a boat and go see what he's doing, right?